Hey, Steve, this is the first time we're doing this. this we're making this first. quick. The first. We're making this quick recording after we finish to give people an idea of what's coming up in this podcast. They're hearing the so, end of the show, but we're going we're gonna to stick it at the beginning of the show. That's what we're doing. So what do we talk about today? We talked about practicing and performing and uh, sticking to your allotted time. And when you go over, I don't know. What else? Fish tanks, uh, stoicism. How to market. Oh, yeah. Mailing lists, magazines. Um, not being too hard on other people. Not grace, being too hard on mercy, yourself. Not being too touchy. That's enough. Let's get into it. Hello, Stephen Seifert. Hello, Dan Landrum. Welcome to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast on this beautiful June day. For those of you listening off in the future sometime, this is June 12th, 2017. And I think we're up to podcast number 67, maybe? Six-something? I don't know. That's crazy. I'm kind of glad. Think about how many hours that is. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, a lot. Yeah, I know we can't do math either, <laughs> so we won't think about and you, it. Much. You even got the date wrong today. It's actually June thirteenth. Oh, it is. Has my watch? My watch may not have switched. You need sure to enough, wind says, your Apple Watch. <laughs> yeah, or plant a new tree or something. Hey, I hear something mild in the background in your room. Are you uh, messing with me? Do you really hear it? It it sounds, but I know it can't be because I remember. It sounds like an aquarium, but a few podcasts back, we got rid of the fish. We didn't get rid of fish. I just moved them to a new location. (laughs) I could go back and read the transcript as if we. So I do have an aquarium. You said the fish are gone. Yeah, because um, I didn't like those were like my starter fish. Oh, oh, that's the story we're going with now. Yeah, that's it. But if they if, were like gateway fish, hey, when you edit this show, if you hear a whole lot of aquarium, you know, I'll need to know that. But I can't unplug this right now. I got this good bacteria rolling around in the filter. Can't pl- unplug that for an hour. I'll, I'll look that up though in the forum. See if I can unplug the uh, that for an hour. Are you tied to those fish now? I mean, can you do no. you do gigs anymore? You can't leave the house. No, I'm tied to the plants, but the fish. And I I love animals. I'm good to animals, but it's really the plants that I I really like the plants. Huh? What kind of fish you have in there? I don't even know. Let me think. I've got a blue German ram. They're known for dying pretty quick. Um, I've got twelve ember tetras, two small apple snails who mated last week, and I've got two amano shrimp. So, oh, and I got a flagfish. But really what I've got is a bunch of cool plants. Bacopa Carolina. I've got some Amazon swords. I've got a bunch of stuff I can't remember what I got. But the point is, why am I doing this? Why are we talking about this? Because if you edit this show and you hear that filter, I need to look up online and see how long I can leave a filter off. But yeah, yeah, you know, I'm talking about it because it's fascinating and it's it's an insight into who Steve Seifert is. Well, he, I'm screwed up because I've obsessed. I don't think that's screwed up. I've you obsessed just, over this you, a little too much the last two months. It's, okay, so you're saying the screwed up part is the obsession not having fish because there's, we have a lot of listeners who have fish. No, I love I love fish and, and plants. plants and plants. I was out this morning almost every morning. I know my neighbors may think I'm crazy, but I was. On the ground, on my shoulder, shooting pictures of flowers in the sunlight during that fifteen-minute golden time. I've been. Uh, I've really. Um, I've really enjoyed having a little bit of nature in the house. Good for you. And now, when I drive around outside, I think you know we're just humans in a giant aquarium with really poor um, landscaping. <laughs> <laughs> so you think we're just basically Stephen King's The Dome? <laughs> So I'm setting up one for my mom. It's a 40-gallon breeder. We're going to put it in the living room. We're going to do a dirted tank with a gravel cap. And I'm just going to fill this thing with plants, put a filter on it, and let it run for like almost two months. Just lots of plants, soil in the bottom, no fish. And uh, 
I'm excited about that. But really, keep us posted. Yeah, really, the best thing for us to do right now is to change the topic. Talk about uh, what has been happening in uh, your dulcimer world recently, Steve. Where you? Where have you been? What about you? I'm. Uh, my last my last out of town gig was Texas, and That's I'm right. still on my thing that I bragged about a few podcasts back when we did the GTD thing. I practice every morning, and even the uh, and and working on new content for Dulcimer School. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. But Our hope is that as you get older, you get wiser. That's my hope for for me. Ah, that's you. interesting. If nothing else, I want my routines to be wiser. Because I may not be able to control my cognitive deterioration, but I don't know. It's probably misquoted to, uh, oh, uh, Itzhak Perlman about why he practiced every day. Have you heard this quote? I'm sure you have. I don't know. What is it? It's, you know, somebody said, you know, you're, you're 87 years old, but still you practice every day. Why do you do that? And he said, ah, I'm seeing some improvement. <laughs> That's true. But you, yeah. you, um, you mentioned that you've got a routine in the morning that you're knocking out before eight. That sounds intriguing. Yeah, but it means you got to get up at five thirty. I can do but, that. Yeah, I get up at five forty-five. Yeah. Believe it or not. Oh, good for you. Um, now, no, if I I've been on the road real hard. It takes me a few days to get back into the rhythm of that. But, but, but the only thing I want to add to what we talked about in the GTD show, the getting things done thing, we did a few times back is my practice on my instrument has that takes priority over my list of things that need to be done, like answering the government email, answering the personal email, answering the practice email, answering tops practice gets done first. And it always makes, there's something about what it does to my head. I think you're right. The rest of it go better. And and I think it sets the tone for answering those emails. Does. And I feel like, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this. And I feel not that I feel like I'm an authority, but I feel like I have business and, you know, doing this stuff. There's a good point to that. When we practice, like, let's say we practice three days in a row, an hour each day, you will be reminded that you're actually a little bit better than you usually are. You know, Um, when I'm not practicing there's just certain things I know aren't going to go as well. Certain things I'm just not going to decide to do in a performance because my hands just aren't ready. But um, when I do yeah. practice three days in a row, I get this awareness like, oh, yeah, I can actually do some of this stuff. And that's that's kind of a bizarre thing to be walking around at 80% capacity, you know? Right. Well... I guess another thing that happens is things that you think you're pretty good at or you're ready to perform live, you know that you, you make little mental notes of things that you attempted and you realize, ah, that should be better than that. And there's a, a resistance that sets in sometimes when that happens. And I think one of two things probably, it's not always dichotomous like that, but one of two things sets in. One is, I just don't want to do that anymore because I didn't like the way it made me feel, or I'm going to make that better. And those are the kinds of things I've been focusing on in the practice. I mean, like the silly, it's not silly, it's actually kind of beautiful, the uh, solo, the harpsichord solo in in my life, Mm -hmm. which was done by playing it and then doubling the speed of it has some weird rhythmic anomalies in it. Oh, it has, it has a groove that you wouldn't expect from a human. That's right. And so I, I tried to work all of that in to playing the solo and listening back to it. It's, it's like, it's not right. I mean, I was playing it kind of like they were, so it's my version now. So I decided to take some liberties and just clean it up and make it sound musical again. And in particular, that last squash of notes at the very end of it. Do you remember that? He just kind of smashes all the keys down to do an A and then it switches back to D for a second. I think what you just said uh, about taking liberties with it, that's a, that's something I've been teaching about lately. It's so important 
Now, not every musician is like this, but much of the time I've started off by getting intrigued with a, a thing I wanted to be able to do musically. And then I start to emulate someone else who I have determined does that really well. At some point, I realize that I've only got like 60% of it so far. Now, this is just me. This might not be the next guy. So I shift from emulating to then coming up with an equivalent musical statement or process. And I guess some people would feel at that point like they're cheating. Can you they, unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, some people it, might feel like they have No, not the cheating part, but the equivalent musical statement or process. What do you mean by that? Well, let me break down the cheating part. <laughs> so, no, that's interesting. People... I'm convinced most people would think, oh, I have to keep emulating. I have to nail this. If I don't, you know, I'm. I th- and I think that most of the time they don't completely nail it, and I think they just stop. I really think a lot of people stop. Um, but I really love this process of, all right, I've emulated enough. I got 60% of it. Now I'm going to come up with something that will take care of the same job, but in my way. And the cool thing is after, you know, 10, 20 years of that, you really do have your own thing. If we all emulate somebody exactly, we don't really bring anything new to the table. So I've been encouraging people in classes lately, you're not failing when you stop, you know, when you don't quite copy a tune or, or a technique. It's okay. Like, don't just disengage. Just come up with something that gets the job done and move forward with intentional, deliberate expression. You know, play your heart out. A couple of things happen. A couple of things happen when people do that. They, even though it may not be, I mean, it might be, but it may not be pyrotechnics that you're going to see from them. There's something about a musician that is playing something that they feel confident about that seems honest, you know, that where they've settled in and they like this and they're expressing it well, that adds a whole element. I think of so. Magic. I think the yeah. confidence almost legitimizes whatever they're doing. Yes. Yeah, so let's say they're playing a Beatles. Let's say they're playing that Beatles tune. Which, which is the solo, the harpsichord solo? What's that from? My life. In my life. Yeah. Yeah. In my life. Um, you hear somebody get up there and they're actually not using the right chord progression, but they got confidence. They're doing what they're doing. Well, they're doing it like they mean it. And then I, I buy it they're sold, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, that it's a whole package at that point, And that's what we're shooting for. That's not true. I mean, it's not like you're shooting for a whole package, but it just becomes it because it feels more natural. And I think it also takes some of the nerves out because you're not judging yourself against somebody else. I wouldn't want to judge myself. I'm learning Mountain Dulcimer, but I wouldn't want to judge myself against you. Goodness gracious. Why do that to me? (laughs) Well, we do that a little bit. I noticed with Aaron, people are always asking me about Aaron. Like, what do you think about Aaron? Or, or, you know. (laughs) And so I'm always thinking about what I think about Aaron. And still, when I hear him play, the first feeling I have is, I should be playing more. I should be practicing more. Um the next thing I think is what he's doing there is pretty cool. And then I often think, I wonder if I should learn what he's doing. And maybe I should sometimes. And actually I have sometimes, but really he just mostly encourages me to be a better player. And I, and I'm reminded of how much I like being in community with people, you know? Yeah. Hey, can I, I'm going to, can I read you something? A text I got from Aaron this morning. Sure. That is, this is absolutely without his permission. So I could, I don't think he'll be mad about this though. And it's going to sound a little bit like when I first read it, that it, like I'm reading this because it's, it compliments me and that's not why I intend it. Oh, whatever. Well, it's not because you'll see the, the bigger point. It's that whole sense of community, but it also speaks a little bit to where what we're talking about this you know mildly for what you said earlier was mildly formulaic and that you work on it you work on it but part of the formula can be okay now i'm not going to work on it like that anymore i'm going to work on it in a way that feels more natural to me that can be part of the formula so but but formulas help so anyway 
this morning, uh, Aaron, he's at Kaufman camp right now. Cool. Which is cool. And he was, listen, he was nervous because. Well, I listened Sarah, to some of that when he was talking about Sarah in the last podcast. Yeah. I mean, Sarah nailed it last year. It's like, I even like, talked to Sarah about that yesterday. Oh, really? Good. What'd she say? Well, she hadn't listened to the podcast yet, but I just basically told her, you know, Aaron knows that you were well received and he, he wants to do a good job too, you know? And she's like, oh, whatever. They're going to love him, <laughs> you know? Sure. She's awesome. Well, so this is this is that sense of community, not just for, for Aaron and me and you, and, but for dulcimer players, because this is Mountain Dulcimers at Kaufman Camp. He says, hey, dude, just wanted to send a quick note about the concert. I think I have you to thank for sharing the ideas for sculpting a set. I think it worked. That's exclamation mark. It went really well last night. Afterwards, April Virch, my favorite Canadian-style fiddle player, told me, Quote, that was the perfect 20-minute set. Seriously, everything about that was perfect. Well, that's great. Well, I, do you know. Makes me a little emotional. That's awesome. While you're crying, I'll say (laughs) that I did a concert. I drove from Nashville to Indianapolis. Took me five hours. I did this Sunday. I I drove in the morning. I did two workshops. I did a one-hour concert. I closed out their whole weekend, and it was a folk festival more than just oh, a dulcimer yeah. thing. Then I drove five hours back, which is that's one heck of a day. But um, when he when it was time to start the show, I just heard you in my head saying, "Hey, how about we just start playing and we'll talk after." <laughs> I think that's my favorite tip from you because, um, I mean, they already heard. Okay, so the previous artist had a, a 20... I'm not saying at this festival. I'm saying hypothetically at a generic, <laughs> non-existent festival. Your right. previous artist had a 20-minute slot. They did 35 minutes on accident. Bless their heart. So the audience also... <laughs> you know, they're already sitting through a little more. And then they hear the MC talk while, while you come up. They hear the MC talk while you're getting you know, hooked up and all this, the MC talks, the MC talks. Then he leaves. Do you really want to follow that up with more talking, more talking, more talking? No, let's hit him with the best thing we got. It's not our talking. It's the music. You know what? I think you mentioned that and I'm, and I'm going through all the emotions of what that feels like. And it makes me think about how hard a job it is. Not hard because people fight wars and stuff, but how hard it is for a comedian who has no choice but to come out and start with talking. Oh, well, that's the best thing they got, though. That's the thing. Yeah, but it's that first couple of minutes is uh, the best thing we have. The best thing I have is not talking. (laughs) Maybe I'm still trying to discover what it is, but I mean, sometimes when we talk, it works out. But let's not start the show off with that risky of an endeavor. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think... um, and I want to say, too, I've had some thoughts about something. Um, sometimes performers do go over their time by a large amount. I mean, I don't think anybody's complaining if you go over a few minutes. <clears throat> but, when an, but when an artist gets, a let's say, um, a 10-minute spot, and that artist does 30 minutes... What happens backstage is a lot of the experienced artists start complaining like, you know, hey, are they out of their mind? What's going on out there? How are they going almost three times over there? You know, Um, but I remember something that some of these experienced guys maybe don't remember. When you're new or when this is something you don't do a lot, you're a little bit scared Oh, yeah. And you're really, you're not a master of your domain up there when you're you're new or when you don't do this a lot. And you're really just trying to get through it. You're unable to think of the 20 different factors (laughs) um, that need to be thought about when you're on stage. And so I try to, when I'm disappointed that somebody's using three times their allotted, you know, space... I try to, usually that is not a seasoned performer. Usually that's somebody else. And um, right. 
So I want everybody to know I'm not hating on those people. But now that we've gotten all that out of the way, when I get 20 minutes, I know if I do not set a timer or a clock, if I can't see a clock, personally, I don't do real well. So I have been setting a stopwatch and it helps me a lot. It helps me uh, gauge the flow of the show, too. Right. So anyway. Yeah. I actually like uh, stages like at Everett where there's a timer. (laughs) I love that. And the thing starts because it's just one less thing to worry about. A countdown. What you said. I love a countdown countdown timer. Countdown timer. Yeah. One year year I got the audience to count down. (laughs) It was funny. We were like, uh, I just remember it was a good laugh. I don't remember how how the bit came off, but. I think everything you said was spot on, Steve, and I'm seeing it. Uh, we had a, a city council meeting last night, and one I won't bore you with what the subject is, but there's a relatively contentious subject that we're dealing with. It's big, and quite a few – we're having lots of people show up for these meetings, but not for the most part, it's people who have never spoken before a council just think about that word, a council. That's scary. You know, it's, it is. And so they're getting up and they're just scared. I mean, they're just nervous and they're emotional and shaking and they're walking up to a podium and they forget to say their names. And the the, the secretary has to say, you have to state your name and your address, you know, and that make that throws them off. And they're in front of a microphone and they're in front of a bunch of people sitting on a dais and they're you know just passionate you absolutely have to cut them some slack in the way that they say what they say and not treat this like it's a congressional hearing. Because <laughs> what we really want is if they brought something good to the table today, we need to help them get to that, you know. Right. And that's the same thing with in these festivals, in these multi-musical things where you've got lots of people performing. Yeah, I, I think your attitude on that's perfect. Just don't be judgmental. Don't be that guy. If you, and I will say this, because I think if you're a performer, this is a question you ought to ask yourself, or it's it's an awareness you should have about yourself. Um, You should have a little bit of an idea about how interesting you are to to the audience, the given audience, you know, the audience at hand. So if you go play for a, a, you know, a boy's prison, or you go play for an Alzheimer's floor at a nursing home, or you're playing for a church service or, or a lion's club breakfast or a dulcimer face festival or an old time dulcimer festival or an Irish dulcimer festival, you know, like you should have an idea of how interesting you might be to that crowd. And the less interesting you suspect you might be, the more careful you should be about not going over your time. Oh, that's interesting. Be- yeah, I mean, you, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, like, because yeah. um, none of us have perfect self-awareness, but I think it's, if if I go to an Irish festival, let's say just there's fiddles and whistles and all that stuff, and I get hired to teach Irish dulcimer, if they give me a seven-minute or a ten-minute slot, I know that while I might be able to play a short set of nice Irish stuff, I sure don't have 30 minutes in me. And uh, so if I get a 10-minute slot, man, I really don't need to go 18 minutes with something that's not interesting to people. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. you can you can under or overestimate your musical value, but just like a chef, you need to be thinking about how your food is received, I think. All right, change subjects. I'm asking your advice. <laughs> change I don't the be, subject. I was thinking well, I think, you might do that. I think we've done it. We've done it. Yeah. So, what do you do in this situation, Steve? And by the way, this has nothing to do with anyone in the dulcimer community who you know are obviously most because we're all perfect. All of us, mountain dulcimer, hammer dulcimer people. <laughs> no, that's not. You'll see where I'm going in a minute. What do you do when you don't get paid? This has nothing to do with anyone in the dulcimer community. But the I, I can the, tell you the first thing you do the way the entity who is doing the not paying is 
getting close to a month from when you were supposed to be paid. But it's also an entity that has the ability to hire you for many other things and the pay oh, is yeah. Well, the first thing I just want to say, if you're at a festival, and I don't think you're talking about a festival. I'm not. This has nothing to do with the Dulles But I think this festival. is important. If you're at a festival, like, and this is just me, if you get the word that there's a chance you might not get paid, I like to go ahead and talk to the festival organizer really quickly, and I'm polite, and I'm brief, and I just let them know how important it is to me to get paid in a very nice way. Uh, because I'd like to get do that. That's actually I've, I've heard, worked before, Dan. I mean, I actually I think you're really good at this. So let's just role play for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> How? What would you say to me? Hey, do you have a phone on or something? Uh, yeah. Let me turn the ring the uh, sound off. So anyway, no, go ahead, do that, Steve. Tell, uh, what would you say? So to give what's happening. What's I love when we roll. What's your play. nice? This what's is, your nice? You and I do this in marriage counseling. This is nice. <laughs> uh, never mind. No, I mean, what, first off, what would make you feel like you need to say that? Because wouldn't what's the this, assumption be the that you're going to get paid? What's the context? Well, you said you've done this before. I'm wondering, so you have to tell me what the context was. You're at a festival, and uh, maybe you're in the break room, and the the person running the festival says, hey, I'm really scared. Why? What's going on? Uh Nobody showed up for this event. And I was really counting on people showing up for this event to pay all the performers. And now I don't know what I'm going to do. You know? Um, what I did in that situation is I said, look, I trust you. I give you the benefit of the doubt. You do what you need to do. But I want you to know that I'm also really counting on this. So if you can send me anything at all, it'll help me pay some much, uh, some very important bills, you know, when I get home. But, but I will, uh, you, I will let you well, figure this out. Don't worry about me. <laughs> Whatever you are, you, you in know. that social moment though, like you're at the restaurant, and the the checks come, and the person you're with goes, "Oh man, I forgot my wallet." Yeah, that's funny. And there's silence for a second, and so you either say, uh, "Hey, don't worry, I'll get it," or Man, I'd hate to be in your shoes. <laughs> it's a little bit of that. I notice, though, sometimes later you'll hear different people criticize the person running the event. Like, wow, they should have really done a better job. But it's like, this is the 10th time I've said this on the podcast. Many of the people running these events lose money doing it. They cover it out of their own pockets. And, and I, they're done that. And I'm serious about not being a jerk about this. You know, so um, if you average out all the times that we do get paid, it's pretty good. It all works out. Uh, sure. But you're, you're talking about a non-festival thing, it sounds like. A hundred percent non. And I've written twice. How, how much? What's For, the amount? Under 500? Nope. Significant. Huh. I think it's like when you loan somebody money, you have to decide right away what's important to you. And if, if they're not going to pay you, you, you got to move forward, I guess, not worry about it. Yeah. The thing is, I think they will. I mean, this is a multi-million dollar company. Uh, oh, you know why they're not paying you? It's because it, something has gone wrong. It's probably in an insignificant amount to them. They're not worried about it. You know? Yeah. Well, I think something has gone wrong on their side. This is just speculation, but I think something has gone wrong on their side. And the person that I've talked to isn't the person who's responsible for the payment. But ultimately they are because that's the person who hired me. And they've said, oh, don't need to worry about this. Sorry, it's taking them a couple of days. I'll check with accounting. And they've told me a couple of times, don't worry about this. But I'm starting to worry about it. David Schnaufer told me one time that he did a he did some session work for a very well known artist, and it was only you know it was probably less than three hours out of his day, and he was supposed to get paid two hundred and fifty bucks for it. And um, 
I think six months went by and he he didn't get anything. Maybe it was less. Maybe it was like three. I forget. But he told me he called the office a few times and they kept telling him not to worry about it. The last time he called him, this lady said, "What's you know we're going to take care of this. What's the big deal? It's only 250 bucks." Now, the funny thing was, is the people he was dealing with were used to having a good amount of money in their bank accounts. David... He wasn't used to having that much. So to him, two hundred fifty bucks, and I remember him just being so mad at them for being like, "What's the big deal? It's just two hundred and fifty bucks," you know. Uh, That's a good point, though, Steve, because you know I, we. I think I get hired again. You know, I get a lot of repeat work around here because I'm easy to deal with. Yeah, I show up, show up early, and don't fuss. I even tell if people don't have checks ready right then, I know I'm going to get paid. Uh, it's just this corporate thing that freaks me out a little bit. And I think that you should have a mechanical set of reminders that hit these people. Maybe it's just a, a reminder invoice with a hope you all are doing well. Uh, they're used to that in the corporate world. Give them, hit them oh, with another invoice great... on a regular basis and decide to quit worrying about it. That's a great idea, Steve. That's all right. That's good practical advice. You know, and I and I think the the slight breakdown in communication plays to something that you know. In my speculation as to why they're, I, I haven't heard from this person for a few days, and I know this person is somebody who wouldn't listen to this, so I'm not worried about talking about it. Is that they're probably embarrassed because, you know, they. They represented something and surely expected it to work this other way, and it didn't, and it may be out of their hands. And so they're now like, well, you've got to take care of this. But they're not responding to me, and I know that when I've made mistakes in the past, and you, you and I have talked about this before, that happens sometimes. Just like, oh, man, I don't want to deal with that, or I feel bad about that, and you let it go, and then it gets worse. Andre said something yesterday, and I wish I had written down the way he said it, but the uh, it's that a a rapid response has more value than a delayed detailed response i think that's probably true 80 percent of the time or better yeah most of the time i mean you know why my response is often gracious uh it's because i've screwed up a lot (laughs) in my life (laughs) you think you wouldn't be as nice if you had been like perfect I mean, there's that time I took money or less gracious with your permission. I took money out of Dulcimer school savings. Um, and part of the deal was I was going to work up an orchestral mock-up for you, you know? Um, and I did actually put a lot of work in it on it, but the one thing I didn't do is finish the project. And, um, so the next time that you're owing me something, it's probably a good idea for me to remember that, you know? Yeah. I noticed there's some people that apparently don't screw up because they're really mad at everybody all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Maybe you and I don't pro- tend to get mad at each other. <laughs> so that's probably an example of how many times we've messed up. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I don't know. So you asked me what I've been doing lately. Um, I've... I set up the busiest touring year of my life and I did most of it in November. And I, I don't know if I've talked about this on here, but I just, I decided where I wanted to do three day uh, intensives and I, I already had festivals lined up. I got some orchestral performances lined up and I think in November for the first time in my musical career, I was able to, for the most part, determine what the next you know, what 2017 was going to look like. And, um, I'm busy. Yay. Now there's, there's sometimes I'm at home. Um, the thing I don't like is my kids are 13 and 14 right now. And, um, it's like, this is not the year to be gone a lot, you know? Um, Mm. because they still want to hang out with dad So I actually, um, 
I canceled a few things that I was, I had a few three days that nobody signed up for. I had like one or two people. So I refunded their money and that gave me a little more time with the kids. But you know, I, um, as always, you're trying to balance a lot of stuff. What I'm not doing very well is making the best use of my time at home. So yeah, that's, I mean, don't start picking on yourself. I think balancing things to make time for family, though, I, I just don't see. Well, I don't want to make myself much, out to be a hero in that. Regard. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. We all have to deal with that. It, just that's it. That's at the top of your list. I mean, that's like and, practicing in the morning. <laughs> and I want to say, you know, like I didn't listen to y'all's podcast on um, how your wives are such an integral part of your career. Um, the reason I didn't listen to it is because, you know, I recently got divorced and um, I didn't want to hear it. When you that. sent a cryptic, you sent this cryptic text that had like four or five emoticons. And uh, I'm trying oh, to remember yeah. What it was, it was basically like a frown, an inquisitive, thoughtful look, a blank look, and then a smile. Because yeah, see, I knew some thought went into that. I'm thinking, oh, man, what do each one of these mean? We well, could do a whole it, podcast It's just a range this. of emotions. Therefore, I did not listen to the podcast. But um, <laughs> I want to say, just to get it on record, Katie, my ex- uh, ex-wife, <laughs> did a fantastic job, I believe, of um, being supportive of me and always telling me, hey, I want you to do this. I just want you to do it better. That's what she said a lot. She said, I don't care that you're trying to do the musician thing. I just want you to do it better. And we don't have to go down that whole road. But on a just to simply honor her efforts and being supportive, you know, if I die tonight, I want her to hear that I said that because good for you. She good was helpful with her. product, with product set up, with various festivals she sold. You know, she was looking at the calendar saying, hey, we need $2,000 in 10 days, you know. Um, so that is helpful. I, I often even think all the books I've made, all the DVDs, I've got a lot of content. A big part of that was, you know, due to her encouragement, uh, or you can call it pressure if you want, whatever. <laughs> but well, it could be both. It could be I, both. I got to thank her for that. I've got pictures of her in all my uh, DVD booklets, um, and I guess when some people get divorced, they would think, let's get rid of all those pictures of my ex-wife, but I've decided not to worry about it, you know? Um, it's too complex a situation for me to really analyze too deeply, but I just want to say, yeah, if a musician is married to somebody and that somebody is being helpful, then that help is very much appreciated, for sure. Yeah, and anybody who's judging Steve, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Because <laughs> nobody can do that properly, or fairly, I guess. And just keep in mind, if I had one like piece of um, offering advice where you're not asking for any, is... If you choose at some point to not keep those pictures, that's okay, too. <laughs> that's okay, too. That's right. I mean, those are old products. It's Who knows? But um, when you've got this much, like I've got 15 DVDs, 13 books, four listening CDs, and, and, the, and, and all the stuff on Dulcimer School, and then there's digital versions of everything. Just going, you know, just the thought of I should update my covers on everything. That's a scary thought, man. I you do look really up- young on your covers, Steve. Well, I'm I, like, I join, was. join the jam. Join, I want to join the jam with this like 16 year old, right? <laughs> is, is this your son's book? That's what you're going to get. I don't remember how old I was, but it was, it was definitely younger than today. But you know, I, I, I look at Aaron's book covers, I think they look sharp. Uh, I would like to update my book covers. But, you know, I've often thought of what you and I have talked about on DPN. When you took over the Dulcimer Player News, some people wrote to you saying, you know, they missed the... What what did they miss about the old look of it or something? But it just wasn't folksy anymore. It just they wanted it to like... be more folksy, and you were making it look what? Fancy? <laughs> I don't know. What well, it's not. It's it's not fancy. It's just more contemporary. It's more because, contemporary. Yeah. So sometimes I think, wow, if I 
if I update my covers, maybe it'll turn people off, you know? Yeah, I want to say something else about that, though, Steve. It's not... Uh, yeah, I'm just going to fool, be the fool and rush right into this. My skill set is not doing clip arty looking things. Yeah. It's just, I didn't have any skill in that. And if and I, you had, don't have an interest that drives you to develop that skill to do that. No, I'm more into photography and geometry and, you know, artistic balance. Not that it didn't have it before because the, the clip art Maddie had some amazing friends doing amazing clip art. And you'll notice not just in DPN, but on my website stuff on Facebook, I pull that stuff out every now and then because it's all still part of the package that that's part of DPN and use it because it's really good. It's just not the overall theme. That's all. I don't think people respect that enough. Like what is a subscription? 36 bucks. What is it? Yeah. $36. You get four issues for thirty six bucks. There's a CD in each one, There's which might a, be changing. Might be changing. It, it might I'm all sure be changing. But it's you know thick paper, full color. No, I'm not talking about the price. I mean, I, which but I, guess I am. Subject if, as well. For thirty six bucks, you get somebody out there has gone out of their way to put together a disc and a and a bunch of articles about this this area of interest you have that's really not that popular worldwide. I mean, can't you just give them a pat on the back? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> well, I understand okay. constructive criticism, but I've seen some letters you've gotten that are harsh. And it's like, you know, aren't we all lucky? And I know you well, can't we don't get say this much. stuff. I know you can't say all this, but aren't we lucky to just have somebody that's putting together a magazine at all? You know, and I've been watching Walking Dead. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, the zombie thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, my friend is so mad at it. Russell. I can't you, wait to hear how you're going to tie these two things together. <laughs> Russell is so mad at Walking Dead. He says he's been watching them for years and he thinks the writing has gone down and there's... Oh, they sell out. Did they jump the shark? They're letting down their viewers. And I was like, dude, first of all, you don't expect a ribeye, a bone-in ribeye at McDonald's. You know, when you go to McDonald's, you get your hamburger and fries and your Coke or whatever. Um, there's a whole lot of people that work hard on waking, Walking Dead. And I think you're honestly, Russell, expecting too much out of this, man. It's just some dudes. I mean, just the photography alone is probably worth it. I don't know. It's like sometimes in this consumer culture, it becomes yeah. a hobby to really pick on somebody. I've heard people pick on performers. Or, well, let's call it let's call it a polarized consumer culture also. I like it or I don't like it. And that's fine. We all like and don't like things. Well, but there's some things that aren't worthy of or let's let's make it stronger to make the point put a finer point on this thing. I love it or I hate it. Well, we that's what kids th- are like a lot, isn't it? Yeah. That's um, not how we ought to be as adults. My daughter yesterday, she said, she, um, she said, dip your French fry in my milkshake. It was a, it was a chocolate chip mint milkshake. That's a perfectly she, normal kid thing. I like that. She said, it's really good. And I, and I'm already thinking things I'm getting ready to say to you, but I dipped it in. I put it in my mouth. I closed my eyes and I thought, you know, it's a little odd, but it is kind of good. And then I, I said, um, I want to, I want to dip my hamburger in your milkshake. And she said, "Ooh, disgusting. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, the fry is awesome. The hamburger completely terrible. It's that kind of polarized thing when yeah. really they both taste about the same dipped in the, right. The shake. Am well, I getting too far well, out I, there? We stumbled. Yeah. I think we've stumbled into, I, it's just a, I would love to talk about this for hours because it's it's a it's a matter of maturity or it's a matter of not needing to classify things. And we've talked about this in terms of music before, but it applies outside of music as well. Not everything is good or bad. They, they, I mean, if we can look at things as just data points, it doesn't mean we have to be computers, but it's just another data point. You can prefer the flavor of a French fry dipped in ice cream to a hamburger and i'm not picking on on elliot no, okay. 
on that one. But uh, yeah, one's not necessarily disgusting, but it can be disgusting to you. And there's no time in conversation, you know, just because it takes so long to say, well, Father, I recognize that you might think that that is good, but I find it to be disgusting. <laughs> we don't need to have that either. So and a also, lot of what we say isn't isn't like a decree. Sometimes when somebody says they hate something, it doesn't really mean, you know, they're right. just talking. They're just talking. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but well, I want to be, I tell you, I want to be surrounded by honest people who absolutely would expect that of you listening to them. But you need to do it to other people also. That's a do unto others kind of thing. Cut people slack when they speak. Because you expect them to cut you some slack when you speak. I think so. I think that, do you really want to create an environment where everybody's afraid of saying something the wrong way? You know, you and me in the office, we've dealt with that. Like if I was having (laughs) a bad day, you would be thinking, how do I say this to Steve? I don't want to have to put you in that position. You know? Oh, yeah. Let's not go down that road. Hey, so whenever I talk about anything real, you get nervous. (laughs) No, I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm feeling nothing but love for you, man. No, but I think it's it's. No, quit the hey thing. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Because this music stuff's much more than sound. It's really, for me, the biggest part of music is relationships with people. That's where it's really at. But anyway, go ahead, change the subject. How does practicing it? Well, never mind. How does practicing what? A scale. What does that have to do with the relationship with people? Oh, well, how does fill, how does making sure your windshield wipers got fluid in it? Uh, how is that? What's that got to do with relationships with people? All right, let's pull this. Let's, let's put the logic train back on the tracks. <laughs> Everything's about relationships with people, I think, unless you're a hermit. And then at least you got your relationship with yourself to consider. What if, you're Herman and the Herman, what if you're Herman and the Hermits? That's then it's different. music and you're a hermit. Yeah, that gets complex. I keep thinking hey. about that John Mayer. Hey, I keep thinking about John Mayer <laughs> talking about make listenable music. That haunts me, that state. I was listening to him yesterday. He's an amazing musician. Yeah, he's a different kind he's, of cat. I wish he was. I mean, I'm. it still bugs me a little bit that he is... So good looking and popular and rich and celebrity status. Mostly, it, it bothers us that he's younger. <laughs> <laughs> younger, yeah. My goodness, his songwriting is cutting. Is there anyone here who ever remembers someone changing their mind from a name on a sign? <laughs> he's got. So, I mean, his lyrics are just just full of so many like great things like that. It's, it's like, amazing all the songs yeah. that have been written and people are still coming up with remarkable lyrics. Good stuff. So I'm going to go back to my hey statement. I, okay. And, and we're, we should probably wrap up soon. I want to know, and this, folks, is mildly a non-apologetic commercial. I want to know about other – I also know you're really honest, Steve, and you, you say the good with the bad. It's maybe more than you should sometimes. But how are your other areas of supporting yourself as an independent musician going? I know you've had – you may or may not be in Patreon. I know you may or may not be doing Concert Window. I know you've got it's a complicated, books that you sell. It's a complicated yeah, it's, well, thing. Well, we're, we're in the gig economy. Give So we've talked about, we tend to on this show, partially I think it's pride a little bit. We'd like to talk about the gigs we've gone and done. But what about the I other I don't think things? it's you, pride. Is it a little bit maybe? Well, I, I tell you what. I think if, we've been doing I don't it want after you calling, you've been doing it for over 20 years. It's just kind of like talking about, it's talking shop. You know, well, let's do this. I would be embarrassed if you called me. I was mildly embarrassed. You said, well, what gigs have you had lately? And I said, well, the last thing I did out of town was Texas. I have had a few gigs since then, but I didn't talk about them because they weren't festivals. And if you called me in six months and said, what have you done? And I didn't have three or four festivals to say I had done. I'd, I'd feel a little embarrassed. Well, I'll tell you what I tell my f- I've got some really good friends in Nashville who aren't musicians. You know, and every once in a while they'll say, where you been? Where you headed next? And this is what I say to them, and I say it with all honesty and sincerity. I can tell you where I've been, and I can tell you where I'm headed next, but I'm going to have to think about it. And right now, I I don't have a clue where I've been, 
and this I can't think about where I'm going next. And I think they think I'm making that up, but in my mind, like right now, I just tried to think of what I did last, and it's I, I, I I'm I'm working it out, but it's taken me a little time to think about it. When I'm under the pressure of a conversation, you know with a group of friends and everybody's talking about different stuff. I just get nervous. I can't remember where I've been. My mom says, where are you going next? And I go, I don't know. I got to look it up. It's on my website. I just tell people, go check my website. It'll tell you. Right. Is it? Uh, so anyway, I, I want to know about your gigs. Not those kind of gigs. What gigs? Other, other gigs in this gig economy that we find ourselves in. Gigs is this, being, are you trying to make a soft commercial? What is this? Yeah, absolutely. I want to know. Are you still doing Patreon? How's that going? Are you still doing Concert Window? How's I'm going to do going? a commercial. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Stephen Seaford, and <laughs> I'm here with Dan Landrum. We've got dulcimerschool.com. we got dpnews.com. Each of us have a website. We do online concerts. We're teaching workshops around the country. I'm doing three-day intensives. We're at festivals. We're at fish markets. We're at uh, International Fruit Bazaars. Well, uh, come out and, and let's come out and say hi, won't you? That's all. Back to the show. <laughs> let's work on our commercials and get better at that. But I appreciate that uh, expedience. <laughs> you know the best thing somebody can do? This is I, I got the real deal. This is the deal. If you... If you really, if you don't like us, we don't want you to support us because that would be wrong. If you like what we do and you want to support us, please join our mailing lists. I think that's the best because I I can let them know what's going on there. Now, of course, Facebook is helpful, you know, like stuff on Facebook and all that. But I think, and I, I don't think I'm wrong about this, the number one best thing you can do to help an artist is to get on their mailing list. And the number one best thing that artists can do to promote their art is to use that mailing list. <laughs> because when I look at the, when I look at the, uh, the numbers and the conversations that are generated, it's, it's an actual email list that by far gets the most done. So if you're an artist, it's not enough just to have a list. You actually have to send something out, <laughs> and it's not that easy to do. Yeah. I mean, Dan, sh- I, I'm going to guess you don't send out a monthly Dan Landrum newsletter. Yeah, you're guessing right. But I'd sure like to see what happens if you if you did. Well, Dan's about to change a few things from a marketing standpoint. I've got to get over... Uh, there, there's there's some I don't know. There's something about this whole dulcimer community that we're in. I'm I'm confessing something. I want to make sure that I put this in brackets. And this is the most important part of this. I think what I'm about to say right now is wrong. At least where I'm coming from has been wrong, and this is what needs to change. It's felt a little bit to me. I remember it rang true when Butch Ross said said this one time that. The dulcimer world is sort of a pro-am world. And, and what's pro-am? Me, professional amateur slash pro- amateur. What's that mean? Professional amateurs. And I've always felt like if that's true, and maybe I took that to heart. And sorry, Butch, if you're listening, maybe I shouldn't have taken it to heart. Maybe that's not true unless it's just true in your own mind. And that can't be i think i've used a little not specifically because of what butch said but a little bit of that attitude that no the nail that sticks up is going to get hammered down you don't need to over and who knows what over promoting is but you if you promote yourself too much and you make it appear like you're too slick then and also maybe i i just there's boy this is so self-defeating i'm not sounding like i want to sound right now but I'm not really comfortable promoting myself, but if I'm going to continue to make a living at this, I'm going to have to do the things that in this gig economy, the way that it's changed, uh, it used to be you go out and street perform, you'd sell a couple of boxes of CDs sometimes. At $15 a pop, maybe $20 yes. a pop, you're talking about, let's say you sold 20 CDs on a weekend at $20 a pop. My best weekend, which is what people always want to talk about, was 
over 50 CDs. Yeah. And that's a lot. You're making a lot of money then. Well, this idea you know? of over-promotion. I mean, if anybody... I, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I'll hear somebody and I'll sometimes think they're kind of over-promoting a little bit or I'll think they're being a little too slick. But here's the reality. If anybody accuses me of being too slick, well, you don't know what you're talking about because I am not capable of pulling this off completely. Uh, I'm just trying... Like, when I bring up my product, it's there's always a little sense of guilt inside. Like, man, I'm never talking about this enough. I really need to say something about this. I kind of... Part of me wants to run off the kind of customer who doesn't want me to promote myself. I don't, I don't know that I want that person as a customer. Um, I've been doing this for over 20 years. I've got, I've got a family uh, to take care of. I got my mom. Um, I've got my own personal failings, things. I'm not that good. I got to do the best job I can to make a living. And at the same time, pour my heart into my art. And it's right. a complex machine, and I'm not going to do it well. And I need people who maybe can have a little mercy on me because I am, you know, and I think we need to talk about our stuff. I encourage Sarah Morgan to talk about her and, and, and Aaron Rodgers. You know, I'm always encouraging people, hey, get that newsletter out there. And I don't I don't get it out on time either. Um, I, I miss many months, but I... the other thing is people who complain about getting more, more than one email from me a month. Um, part of me thinks, you know, I need people on my mailing list who don't mind getting two or three things from me a month. If if when you get a second thing from me one month, you're filled with anger, maybe you and me aren't a good match. I need people on there who want to know what I'm doing. You know, so somehow just, I don't know, be this. There's people who want to know more about Dan Landrum. Hook up with those people. And the I'm starting to look at it. The people yeah. that don't aren't going to like you. Let's give them a reason to leave early and fast. Does that sound crazy? Well, no. And think about it this way: <laughs> Are, if what we're doing isn't at least as interesting to the people who are somewhat interested in the kinds of things that we do as custom underwear or a shave of the month club. Mm-hmm. Are these things that are just they're ubiquitous, and I hear them marketing. I mean, they're everywhere. You know the, all the ads I'm talking about. They're they're just everywhere these days. So sure, and an email is not that intrusive, Steve. It's just you don't have to open it. I'm gonna go one step, maybe too far. You can edit this out if you want to. I think that um, it would be okay for somebody like you who has a magazine to send out an email to all your current, you know, whoever's on that mailing list and say, Hey, I'm going to do this one time. Um, I've always neglected my own performer mailing list. Well, here it is. And if you click here, you get, uh, to download this, whatever PDFs, MP3, something. And, uh, if you want to support me and what I do, you know, I think you ought to do that. Well, it's tricky. Maybe now it might be less of a problem, but when we first bought Dulcimer Players News from Maddie, that would have been a big problem because there was an expectation that it was just going to be used to promote me, and I've worked really hard to not do that. Oh, people were afraid you were going to do that, so you've overreacted probably in the other direction. Maybe I reacted just the right amount. but Yeah, know. maybe you did. I'm willing to be open to that, but let's not be biased towards thinking that you shouldn't promote yourself at all, you know? Right. And uh, yeah, I know I went too far and that was one of those things that Angie kept saying, you know, you don't, I, for the most part, if you go back and you go through Dulcimer Players News magazines, I don't even have ads in there pushing my stuff uh, because the magazines have always been tight. And if I needed to bump anything, I always bumped my own stuff. It sounds like I'm whining now and I don't. I think the people that that would bother. They got some personal work to do oh, on themselves, stop. and you, we can't. We you know, that's going too far. Maybe no, it's just normal. These are normal ways. This is why this matters because this podcast is not just for people who are into dulcimer. There's some people that listen to us. We've gotten mail from them who are performers, you know, who are out there trying to make a living as a musician, trying to get their music developed. Um, oh, I gotta I, say, listen, I want to encourage I, those people. If we've learned anything, it's that. 
there's certain things we the the less we worry about them, the better off we are. So I saw a, a video tech. Uh, Tyler, do you know who Tyler is? He probably helped set up your video last time. He was out of town. I think so. Tyler saw him yesterday and it made me feel so good when Andre Dantzler with the company who helps, who helps us do Dulcimer school. I was talking to them about some audio stuff and Tyler said, Oh yeah, that's, is that like what you talked about in the Dulcimer, in in the Dulcimer geek podcast when you guys were talking about blah, blah, blah. That's funny. That's cool. Because not a dulcimer player at all uh, that I'm aware of, unless he's a closet dulcimer player. You know, you never know about people. I I do want to round that out. If it's good that we act with mercy and grace towards people, and we certainly enjoy it when we get it from other people. Um, But I want to encourage artists out there, don't make your decisions based on you know, 2% of the people on your mailing list who are really touchy. Make make your decisions based on 80% of the mailing list who's simply interested in your music and wants to hear more about what you're doing. That's where don't I think you gotta go. The only thing I'd add to that is don't be touchy yourself. Amen, because I'm the biggest touchy. I'm I'm stopping touchy now. I'm I wanna write this <laughs> on my forehead. Stop stop being easily offended. I would like don't, to have don't that. Be touchy.